Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 56 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's question, pretty interesting one, how did Pharaoh's magicians perform miracles? Demon power? Sleight of hand? Now, our first passages for today are Job 25 and 26, and for once, one of Job's friends actually makes a little bit of sense, or at least he just doesn't out-and-out spew out garbage, so that is kind of an improvement. Now, we got to keep in mind that God himself rebukes Job's friends at the end of the book of Job, so when we read their advice, we realize already that it's probably going to be wrong. Luke 11 has two powerful teachings on prayer. Jesus is going to give us the model prayer, which some people call the Lord's Prayer, uh, in sort of teaching us how to pray by example. And then he's going to give us his exhortation to ask and keep on asking, to knock and keep on knocking, to seek and keep on seeking. That's the actual verb tense that's in the Greek of Luke 11. It kind of indicates a continuous, ongoing, persevering, asking, seeking, and knocking. And then 1 Corinthians 12 begins the longest extended teaching in the Bible on the spiritual gifts, and that's going to be the focus of our next two, maybe our next three episodes. But today, we're in Exodus chapter 8. God has sent Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites free, and he's given them some miraculous signs to show Pharaoh that God is powerful and means business. Now, we saw this similar dynamic yesterday in Exodus 7. I want to repeat a couple of those passages. This is Exodus 7, 10 through 13. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord said. Skip a bit into Exodus 7, and we get to verse 20. And Moses and Aaron just did just as the Lord had commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and his officials, he raised the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad, the Egyptians could not drink water from it. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 22, But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their occult practices. How in the world did they manage that? And we're going to see today in chapter 8 a very similar thing going on. So let's read it and come back and discuss how it was possible that these magicians who did not follow God somehow did these miracles. Where did the power come from? Exodus chapter 8 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, then I will plague all your territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom and on your bed, into the houses of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people, and all your officials. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up unto the land of Egypt. When Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same thing 
by their occult practices and brought frogs up into the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Appeal to the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let the people go and they can sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, You have the honor of choosing. When should I appeal on behalf of you, your officials and your people, that the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile? Tomorrow, he answered. Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, the frogs will go away from you, your houses, your officials, and your people. The frogs will only remain in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. The Lord did as Moses said. The frogs in the houses, courtyards, and fields died. They piled them in countless heaps, and there was a terrible odor in the land. But when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land, and it will become gnats throughout the land of Egypt. And they did this. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and when he struck the dust of the land, gnats were on people and animals. All the dust of the land became gnats throughout the land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. This is the finger of God the magician said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. When you see him going out to the water, tell him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you will not let my people go, then I will send swarms of flies against you, your officials, your people, and your houses. The Egyptians' houses will swarm with flies, and so will the land where they live. But on that day, I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen, where my people are living. No flies will be there. This way you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will take place tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Thick swarms of flies went into Pharaoh's palace and his officials' houses throughout Egypt. The land was ruined because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go and sacrifice to your God within the country. But Moses said, it would not be right to do that because what will we, we will sacrifice to the Lord our God is detestable to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice what the Egyptians detest in front of them, won't they stone us? We must go a distance of three days into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he instructs us. Pharaoh responded, I will let you go and sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but don't go very far. Make an appeal for me. As soon as I leave you, Moses said, I will appeal to the Lord, and tomorrow the swarms of flies will depart from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. But Pharaoh must not act deceptively again by refusing to let the people go and sacrifice to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh's presence and appealed to the Lord. The Lord did as Moses had said. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a one was left. But 
Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Did you catch that in chapter 8, verse 5? The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand and flies will come. When Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, I'm sorry, frogs came. The frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians, verse 7, did the same thing by their occult practices, and they brought up frogs unto the land of Egypt. I believe the Bible is absolutely inspired and inerrant. All that it affirms is true and factual. This account clearly shows that the magicians of Egypt were able to do some pretty incredible things. They turned their staffs into snakes, they turned water into blood, and they produced a plague of frogs. How in the world is this possible? We have two major possibilities. Number one, the Egyptian magicians pulled some sort of trickery and sleight of hand. You know, sort of akin to a modern day Chris Angel, David Copperfield, David Blaine, whatever. The possibility number two is that the Egyptian magicians tapped into a different power source other than God. Now, gotquestions.org, Michael over there, tends to favor the first option. And he writes this. He says, the second opinion option, and probably the more probable, is that the magicians simply created illusions. Through sleight of hand and conjurer's tricks, they deceived their audience into believing that they were performing the same miracle as Moses and Aaron. The first illusion, that of turning the staffs into snakes, may have been performed by snake charming, which was widely practiced in ancient Egypt and even some today. There was a way in which snake charmers could cause a snake to stiffen like a staff and relax on command. Since the magicians were summoned after Aaron threw down his own staff, they would have had time to prepare the trick in advance. As for turning the Nile to blood, only dye is needed to make water run red. The frogs may be a more complicated illusion, but just as modern illusionists can pull rabbits out of hats, Pharaoh's magicians could have summoned frogs. I definitely think this is a possibility, but you know what? Color me a little skeptical of the whole, you can train snakes to stiffen up like stabs. I don't think I believe that, but I could be wrong. I'm not a herpetologist, just an amateur snake guy. But the text of each of these passages doesn't really seem to lend itself to trickery. Each time the word of God here says that the Egyptian magicians, quote, did the same thing by their occult practices and enchantment. So I heavily favor option number two as the most compatible with the way the biblical text is written. Somehow, some way, spiritual beings or demons or Elohims or Satan himself empowered these magicians. Now, according to the Bible, is such a thing possible? I believe there is a clear biblical answer to that question, and the answer is yes. Satan does have power. His demons do have power, and he and they can somehow empower people from time to time. And we see evidence of this throughout Scripture, and I'm going to give you some examples of it. Go look it up for yourself. In 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. Now, that's the NIV version. 
The King James Version says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, I note here that some versions use the phrase false signs and wonders, and that is within the range of meaning of the Greek word there, pseudos. I prefer, though, the NIV and King James Version translations here because lying wonders seems to more properly fit the context since it's saying that Satan will come with power. If he's coming with power, then his signs and wonders will likely be real, not the kind of trickery a cruise ship magician does. Jesus makes this even more clear and explicit in Matthew 24 when he says, If anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, or over there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So beyond question, Jesus is teaching here that there will be last days false prophets and false messiahs that will perform, quote, great signs and wonders in front of the people. The prophets are false. The messiahs are are false. But their signs and wonders are great and very real indeed. Moses was aware of this too, because in Deuteronomy 13, he says that if a prophet or someone who dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised you comes about, but he says, let us follow other gods which you have not known and let us worship them, do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer. So it's possible Moses knew it. It's possible that even in the Old Testament times, a prophet could prophesy accurately and proclaim signs and wonders accurately, but that prophet be a false prophet. In the book of Acts, we have the case of Simon Magus. He is a magician, but honestly, we don't can't tell if Simon Magus is somebody of real power or not. The Bible is fairly ambiguous on that, but it's not ambiguous at all in the case of the Gerizine demoniac who broke multiple chains and broke out of prisons and things like that. Nobody was able to bind him up. And how about the man that beat naked the seven sons of Sceva? Both of those guys were supernaturally powered empowered by demons. They had supernatural strength that was provided to them, not by God directly, but by the fact that they were demonized. Now, perhaps most spectacular of all, and maybe even most terrifying of all, is the beast of Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 verse 11 says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Here it is. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So, whatever the beast is, Whatever's going on here, this being 
is permitted, I think by God, to have incredible power and to do great signs, including causing fire to come down from the heavens. That's something else. Now, finally, last of all, there are the demonic spirits of Revelation 16, 14 that uh, are able to perform signs and they go around to the kings of the earth and rally them for battle against Jesus when he returns. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Bible teaches that Satan and demons have a high level of power and authority. This power and authority pales in comparison to Yahweh, God's power and authority, but it far outshines the power of any of us little old humans. I believe that these Egyptian magicians were somehow, some way, tapping into this power in a way that no doubt impressed Pharaoh. But (laughs) their power would ultimately be shown as completely impotent in the face of God's increasing plagues against Egypt, and they themselves realized that they were overmatched quickly, like we read in uh, verses 16 through 19. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land. He did. Gnats came. And then in verse 18, the magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. Gnats remained on the people and the animals. This is the finger of God, the magicians said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh didn't pay any attention to that because his heart was hard. Interestingly, though the Egyptian magicians are not named here or anywhere in the Old Testament, it's very possible that Paul gives us their names in the New Testament. If you turn to 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 9, you get this. He's talking about false teachers, and he says, Among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Jans and Jambres. Origen of Alexandria, who was an early church scholar and theologian and writer and father, he lived from uh, somewhere around the 180s to the 230s, so, you know, about 150 or so years after the resurrection. He wrote that Paul got the name of Jans and Jambres from an extra-biblical or apocryphal book which named the magicians in the Exodus narrative. Apparently, in that book, the impotence of the Egyptian magicians is highlighted even more than in the biblical account. Now, I appreciate, even though I don't fully agree with uh, got questions in leaning away from thinking that these Egyptian magicians had real power, I appreciate their conclusion to the article on this matter. So we'll close this part of the pod with that conclusion. And Michael writes, Whether they were creating illusions or performing actual miracles, the Egyptian magicians were eventually stymied by God's power. They were unable to summon gnats, turn the sky dark, that's Exodus 10, call down hailstones, Exodus 9, or duplicate any of the other plagues. God's power is great enough to defeat both man's conniving and Satan's power with ease. Amen to that. Now let's read some more scripture. We're going to read two chapters in Job today because Job 25 is thankfully short. 
Job 25, verse 1, Bildad the Shuite replied, Dominion and dread belong to him, one who established harmony in his heights. Can his troops be numbered? Does his light not shine on everyone? How can a human be justified before God? How can one born of woman be pure? If even the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less a human who is a maggot, a son of man who is a worm? I've got to say, he makes a fairly good point there. Job 26 is Job's reply to Bildad, verse 1. Then Job answered, How have you helped the powerless and delivered the arm that is weak? How have you counseled the unwise and abundantly provided insight? With whom did you speak these words? Whose breath came out of your mouth? The departed spirits tremble beneath the waters and all that inhabit them. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches the northern skies over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps up the water in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst beneath its weight. He obscures the view of his throne, spreading his cloud over it. He laid out the horizon on the surface of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars that hold up the sky tremble, astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stirred the sea, and by his understanding he crushed Rahab. By his breath the heavens gained their beauty. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. These are but the fringes of his ways. How faint is the word we hear of him. Who can understand his mighty thunder? Wow. Luke chapter 11 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For 
you say I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his estate, his possessions are secure. But when one stronger than he attacks and overpowers him, he takes from him all his weapons he trusted in and divides up his plunder. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest and not finding rest. It then says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last consistent condition is worse than the first. As he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. He said, Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. As the crowds were increasing, he began saying, This generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to bear the, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look. Something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of life. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care, then, that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. As he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools! Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? But give them what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you! You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't even know it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. Then he said, Woe also to you, experts in the law. You load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch those burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! You build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their monuments. 
Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, so that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who passed perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. Woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves and you hindered those who were trying to go in. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. They were lying in wait for him to trap him in something, he said. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. Manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if there were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider you know, less honorable... We clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Amen, brothers and sisters. I express great hope that the Word of God was edifying and encouraging to you today as it should be every day. May the Lord bless you. Godspeed.